Welcome to episode 233 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, not James Langer this week. Uh, and uh, joining me today, Ryan and Paul, I would have more of an intro written up right now, but I let Ryan do the rundown and he didn't change anything from last week. No, I didn't. <laughs> so if I just read what he had written, we'd be talking about the Cubs right now, but that's clearly not who they played this week, right? I don't think so. No, we had a completely different, two completely different series than that. Yeah, so, yeah. So we we have a little twinge of disappointment that we had from that first week, but uh, <laughs> it's some different teams. So we'll just kind of get on with that. Um, guys, how are you doing this week? Uh, everybody in my house except me has COVID, and that is actually why I'm on the podcast, because we were supposed to be in Minnesota right now, and we couldn't go because we didn't want to accidentally kill old people. So um Okay, but I've been in the house with children for too many days in a row, and I'm sick of it. They haven't been able to run outside. I suppose it's been cold. They we they get outside once in a while, but not enough. It's and you know it, it's been during the work day for some of that. And, you know, yeah, that doesn't work very well. Yeah, and the weather clearly isn't helping with that either. So I hope everybody's doing all right. Yeah, they're mostly fine. Okay, <laughs> I think everybody's going to be okay. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, I know Ryan and I, we, we went to opening day this week, so we, we had that little fun excursion to uh, get out and enjoy. And COVID-free as far as we know. Yes, so, so <laughs> far. Right yeah. that. So, yeah, and then I was also at the game on Friday night, which was significantly less fun than the game on Thursday afternoon, like significantly by several orders of magnitude less fun. Yeah, that so, was a rough one there. By the time we got into the stadium, it was four nothing. It was one of those games. A Jeff Supon special, in my experience. Mm, yeah, I definitely have had a few of those where you're like, "Oh, good. I'm glad that we went to all this trouble of getting down here and getting into the game." And then, <laughs> yeah, there's literally nothing to cheer for for the rest of the night. So that was pretty awful. And we we had left before they scored too, because I think it ended up being what nine to one or something. Uh, it was eight to one or nine to one. I don't. Who yeah. cares? Right, exactly. And we we <laughs> we left and didn't even see the run score. So, yeah, it didn't matter by that point. And you know, even the wins this week have been uh, a little tough to watch at, at points. So, but we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> so uh, annoying. Yeah, it, it really has. It was been, ten but, to one, by the way, just so we don't get angry emails later. A ten spots. Yeah, um, a tough start for Freddie. And again, there were there were definitely questions about Freddie so far. Um, for this season, but we'll get into that a little bit. I uh, want to let everybody know you can become a patron by signing up for as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash tailgate. That'll get you question priority here on this podcast, as well as reporting as eligible Packers podcast. Five bucks a month gets you some extra content. You get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers off season. And we got some Packers stuff coming up, right, Paul? Yes, the draft is quite soon, uh, two weeks from, not today, but two weeks from soon. And uh, it's a big one for the Packers. They have two first-round picks. They need a whole bunch of position reloads. And um, I've run all my fun metrics on everything so far and uh, have receiver stats and quarterback stats all ready to go. So should be a fun one. I'm sure the Packers will not take a receiver and piss us all off and can't <laughs> wait to react to that. So who's the Mel Kuyper of your group? 
kind of de- so Tyler Brook, who is on RA once in a while, is probably that. Um, although that's kind of insulting to the draft people. And I was, like, I was just expecting yeah. to say no one's a no one's that. Everybody's good at it. And like like Justice is a draft Nick, and um, so him and Tex is also as well. So we're good at that. It's one of our specialties. I am really there to tell people when somebody is actually statistically bad when they didn't realize it. So, and that happens a lot. Drake London, for instance, not actually good even though it's supposed to be the first receiver off the board. So wait, could the first receiver off the board go off the board around the Packers? Or is that like something you don't have to worry about? So right, we're doing like the, the uh, Acme packing company mock right now. And Drake London had a, he broke his ankle late in the season. So his pro day got put off and put off and put off. And then it happened on the 15th. So a couple days ago, and he didn't run the 40. Um, and there are questions about his athleticism. And so in our draft, he fell to the Packers, and I am the Packers in that draft. So I had to make a hard decision because everybody has him first, and I hate him. But um, I will confess, I did take him. I deferred to the wisdom of crowds there. He's supposed to go like 11th or 12th, and he fell to 22nd. Um, But I don't think in real life that'll happen. I think that there is enough interest and good scouting on him that he will go around 11th through 14th. But you never know. Um, Teams are getting more into the 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 metrics on things and his aren't good so that information are you guys going to do a full pod or are you just going to do a mini pod on it uh, i don't know yet depends I'm gonna on you down on it right now so <laughs> <laughs> there will there will at least be a mini pod on the the draft stuff that i'm good at and there will i believe be a live acme packing company uh draft night on thursday coverage of that that i will be on as long as i am not dying or anything like that so we'll have we'll have that and we'll have a mini pod and we'll see we'll see if matt and jr want to do one we'll, we'll maybe we'll make it happen hey no problem sounds good uh and then we do have a new mini uh minor league pod um ryan that just came out what what did you guys uh, go over in this last pod yeah we talked about the minor league rosters so for the full season squads i just did a quick survey around because they'd played you know, four or five games at that point. So one thing we did spend a lot of time on was Joey Weimer because he's been incredible so far and has not had any problems adjusting to double A. And uh, James also threw out uh, another interesting name that I'm going to leave just for the people that uh, that subscribed. But there was another name that he threw out that was really impressing him. And he thought uh, was pretty surprising that he was in double A to begin with. And then the fact that he was uh, really hitting well and showing a lot of power was a, a big deal as well. So, yeah, we uh, we got into that. And then just kind of a quick survey around all the, the minor league rosters and, like, who was surprisingly assigned where and all that. Cool. $5 a month. Uh, remember, you get uh, access to all of that content. So it's a great way to spend your money if you want to get more Brewers and Packers content um, besides what you get here every week. Okay, so the Brewers continued their up and down start uh, to the season this week, dropping the first game in Baltimore, then winning three straight, dropping two against the Cardinals, picking up that last game on Sunday, and that one was extra <laughs> nail bitey. How would we describe it? They've all been <laughs> nail bitey. I would describe the Brewers generally so far as rickety. Um, yeah, they've managed to sort of keep things together in terms of their record, but it's felt like things are just falling apart every single time. Which I guess and is he, pretty a good compliment on their part when you're five and five and it feels like you've yeah, been pretty crappy. No, no. Like <laughs> you're five and five. Like I, it's I not feel terrible. Like normally, um, when the Burrs certainly have a history of eking out close games and occasionally getting blown out, that's a thing that they do. 
but I feel like there's more luck involved in some of these wins than we would normally have. Like, um, I think they could have easily lost today on just Devin Williams not being able to locate uh, on a couple of other things that happened um, that could have bitten them. And I think that they have, generally speaking, even in their close games, like kind of had some major luck play a role. Um, with with people who would normally perform not like Colton Wong making errors like that mm-hmm. even not, not technical errors even because double play was involved in that one that's in front of my head but like he doesn't botch plays ever that's not his thing um, Willie Adams keeps booting things at shortstop Devin Williams can't get anybody out and keeps walking people like a lot of guys they they need to play well have been crap and if that keeps happening. They're not going to keep eking out one-run games. They're going to start losing a bunch of games. But what's more likely, those guys playing more like what we expect and the team getting better or that continuing to happen and them, you know, starting continuing to lose a bunch of close games? Uh, I Well, I think Colton Wong's defense will probably be fine. Devin Williams, I'm not so sure on. I think he might need a little visit to the IL slash confidence ferry for a little bit. That's a big... Like, we... One one other problem we we have Yandel Gustav pitching meaningful innings and to his credit <laughs> has done them pretty well. I don't think that will keep up. I think that will not keep up. Um, and Willie, um, yeah, he's been rough with the glove and the bat. But one of the things that the Brewers have going against them so far, we talked so much early in this podcast about how this team is built to to mash lefties. And um, going into today. They have had um, 95 at-bats against lefties and 195 against righties. And uh, that's a problem. And that might continue to be a problem. That affects guys like Adamas, who, uh, if he gets sort of even Stevens uh, platoon opportunities, will hit like he is really, really good. But that hasn't happened yet. And it's been a problem for the lineup. Well, I mean, you're going to get about two-thirds of your at-bats against righties and about one-third against lefties in general. That's the general split that you're going to see. And in, in some years, it actually tends to be even closer to uh, three-quarters, one-quarter. But that that is about the normal split that you'll expect to see. I We do have a question coming up on this, so I don't want to step on that. But the the thing against righties, that has been... That's, uh, or against but, lefties but, 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 has been weird. But that is the amount you would expect to face overall over the course of a season if you hit against everybody, Correct. Like, like if you're just a neutral player, if you're a, if you're a guy who plays every every game, that's your split that you're going to see, right? That's uh, yeah, it's saying. it's between. Yeah, it, it, so one yes. of the problems they have is that guys like Andrew McCutcheon have faced righties two thirds of the time, and uh, Hunter Renfro has faced righties two thirds of the time. Um, the, the the guys who are supposed to be lefty mashers are both not facing lefties. And not being spelled against righties at all. Um, it's it's a problem of lineup construction, but even the normal platoon splits, um, they're not playing around them. They're they're just uh, their platoon guys are facing uh, their their wrong side way too often so far. Yeah, and part of that is just the the way that like you said the way the roster is constructed. But we'll get into that more later. Uh, that's that's coming up. Um, yeah, so it, it, again, it's been a rough start and I don't know when I've seen people complaining right now, again, I, I try to remind everybody it's April, like we're two weeks into the season. We saw Devin Williams start slow last season as well. So uh, Mm -hmm. Devin Williams, not having a feel for, uh, his, uh, pitch. What are we calling it? It's definitely a, it's definitely a uh, screwball screwball. Yeah, (laughs) it's a screwball. Um, 
you know, we, we saw that in the past as well. So I, mm-hmm. I again, it, it's April. Everything seems to stand out because you're always flirting with 500 at this point. Anytime you dip below it, you just think the team's falling apart. So I'm just riding it right now. You just can't get too, too caught up into it. You know, I don't, the opening day game was good because I felt like they built the lead, uh, just kind of slowly throughout the game. It's it the only good. game they've won where it was comfortable so far. Yeah, that's it. That's the good game. There's it really another is. one. So at least I got it together for one game. I was at that one. Therefore, I'm hopeful for the entire season because I saw the one good game they've had this year. Yeah, I mean, and in fairness, of their games that they lost, two of them were blowouts and they, they lost them handily. But the other three were all, well, one was a, a two-run game, but the other two were one-run games. And they definitely could have won those games had they come up with a clutch hit late in the game. And they just didn't. Like last night in Saturday night's game, they load the bases in the ninth inning and end up with a, a double play. Or no, th- sorry, they had first and second, right? Or did they, were the bases actually loaded? Uh, I think it was first and second, but I'm not. Whatever sure. it was, they had, they had runners on and they ended up hitting into a double play to end the game. And... Rowdy, you had the guy who's had their best start to the season. Rowdy was up and hitting in that situation, and he had the the platoon advantage and everything. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. he had everything. It was all set up, and he didn't do a double play. And that's baseball. That happens. Like, it's just part of the deal. So Yeah, I mean, you know, this is also a team, when you build it around pitching in the bullpen and you have a crappy offense, it's also always going to feel like it's teetering on the edge because you're just playing close games like this <laughs> over and over and over so mm-hmm. you know get, get it's used just to it. so it's, annoying it's, it's brewers baseball it's a little bit of torture <laughs> i mean and the thing is this is so different than what we're used to we're used to you know when the brewers are good they bash teams and win a bunch of games but then the pitching like leaks away leads at times and that's what ends up undermining them and that's just not the way it's been lately that's not how this team is constructed and i don't know it's i think it messes with everybody's brain it's definitely messed with my brain. <laughs> okay, so we have a question. We'll start with Jay Google here. Uh, because Suck that's it, Steve. You, you know, Jay and I were at opening day together. So <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was sitting next to you. <laughs> yes. So there's always this shot at me about it. I'm like, no. You're fine. the one who complained about it. So for now, it's forever, it's your problem. Yeah. yeah, well, I feel like, you know, he's getting preferential treatment. I don't believe that should happen. So that's that's my complaint. He By did the way, ask the most uh, like succinct question to like get at the overall th- uh, thing here, though. So he did. He it did. belonged I, there. I will say for opening day, Jay and I we went out to get a beer middle of the game, and we thought, okay, we'll walk across the 400 level looking for like a craft beer stand. Nothing. And then we had to go all the way back and around. The only like craft beer in that place is the bar in was it right field now. Yeah, out in right field. It, it used to be they had places kind of spread around. Like you could you could at least find bottles or cans of stuff. And yeah, all of that's gone now. So that was kind of a disappointment at uh, AmFam Field. Just so everybody's forewarned. If you're looking for anything besides a Miller Lite, you got to head out to the uh, the bar in right field there. So. so the place right behind our seats, you could get cans of, I don't know, it was like high and hazy. There, there was some stuff that Did was they available. Have that? And yeah. I know they have, they have Barrel Man on tap there. That barrel man on tap up in the second or in the fourth deck. Yep. That's about it. So. That's about it. Yeah. Okay. That's our beer talk for this week. Anyways, <laughs> uh, JS, what's the biggest disappointment so far through two weeks? Freddie starts two out walks, too many strikeouts, or is there anything else? 
I would say the command, like just their pitchers in general. And it's not everybody. And we've had guys get better. Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff second time through were much better. Yeah, they were. But we've still seen too many guys struggle with command in ways that I, I had hoped that they were past. Like Freddie, I'd really hoped we were past this like really mercurial, like up and down Freddie. And man, he has just like, looked bad these two outs or two outings, I should say. Yeah, he always looks like he's fighting himself for control kind of all the time. But when he's not there, it's just really frustrating to watch. And um, they are second in baseball in walks by pitchers so far this year. The only team that is ahead of them is the, are, are the Washington Nationals, and they have played an additional game. So um, that's it's not great. It's very Walks are, I think, the most frustrating thing. Like when, when your team is just putting guys on for free, takes a long time it's frustrating to see him get behind it's always a sense of dread and uh that is probably it it's just really really obnoxious and the whole Devin Williams inning today was just so painful um and every Freddie start so far has just kind of been like three of those back to back to back in a row so um that's painful and uh I don't think you can really go with anything else because it's not like we thought the offense was going to be gangbusters and I think we all wish it would be it would have been better than it is, but it's not that surprising. So it's not that disappointing. <laughs> um, but uh, that's not good either. They uh, Entering the game today, only had three players with over a 700 OPS, and two of them were catchers. So um, that's not a good place to be either. They really do need to start. Somebody's got to start hitting um, other than Rowdy, because that's going to probably stop sometime in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, one thing worth noting about the offensive struggles and we have a, a more direct question coming up on that in a minute, though, is if you take a look around baseball, look at some of the team OPSs. Uh, it's really quite bad out there. The hitters are even further behind where they normally are at this point. You know, they always say that like pitchers are ahead of the hitters at, like early on in the season. It's way more true right now. Hitters are really struggling, even though pitchers may be struggling with their command like the Brewers. Um Teams haven't necessarily like lit up the Brewers except in those two games. They've struggled mightily with their command, but teams aren't really taking advantage of it the way you would expect that that would happen in games. So, and a big part of that is just everybody is really struggling. Some of the team OPSs, I'm, I'm telling you, man, they're really bad. And the they're Brewers bad, were, were in the middle of the pack in terms of offense. Uh, I well, think that may have fallen over the last couple of days, but they were the middle of the worst, pack. Yeah, they're the sixth worst right now. So that's. In all, in all of baseball, not just uh, that's in all of baseball. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you know what's really nice? We get to now do 30 team samples instead of 15 team samples on this because there's no more DH. So we don't have to worry about that as like, well, we can't really lump the, us in with the rest of you know the American League because the DH, you know, so that's nice. Yeah, sure. I, I guess if that makes you feel better. It Well, no, I'm just saying as a statistical uh, tool, I like it better. Like it, it works better as a statistical. Uh, well, yeah. if we were comparing just the uh, the National League, we would be third worst, and uh, you just all you do is add three American League teams to underneath them, and that's it. So, <laughs> wow, it, that's it, symmetrical. Really feel better, yep. yeah. Um, okay, so our, we have a question from Alex Lamers. Uh, he says our eight game OPS to start the season is only six thirty six, which is not great. But believe it or not, last season we started even worse at. It. 584 that was our second worst eight game start to a season in franchise history this has only been the ninth worst i don't really have a question other than <laughs> please tell me 
we can expect a similar rebound or something closer to average. Last year, we ended up 25th for this season. So, yeah, um, you can expect some some bounce. So that I don't think they're the worst offensive team in baseball, but I don't think that they're great, and they're probably not better than average. So I think you can expect a, a, a rebound of sorts. Like, Willie Thomas is going to hit better than he has so far. Um, that's definitely going to happen. I think you can you can count on Colton Wong hitting better than he's hit so far. Um, even Renfro, who had, had a couple nice days, you can count on that. So, the, I mean, guys will rebound. I will hesitate on Yelich a little bit. Um, but it's not a great offensive team. It's just not. So, yeah, it, it'll be better than Putrid. Um, and they'll have their streaks where they look dynamite for a couple, you know, for a week or two in a row. That happens, too. But by and large, like, it won't be that surprising if they're a bottom quarter offense. It just won't. So, yeah, better, but they're going to need some guys to actually turn it around for real to, to to stem this from looking ugly all the time. Ooh, bottom quarter? That I would I would yeah. take the over on that. So you're saying, like, <laughs> right. lower than, like, 22 out of 30 teams? I take the under. Um, I, I think that they're going to have a, a big problem with their lineup construction all year long. I think that it's going to haunt them all year that they are so righty heavy in that lineup. And th- I just don't have a lot of faith in their their lefty bats to uh, to get them out of that. Um, Yelich being a, a big part of that. And even Rowdy is not your prototypical uh, big lefty platoon bat. He actually has pretty even splits most of the time. And uh, w- like we kind of project him to always hit righties more, better than lefties. But that actually isn't the reality with him. Uh, right now, he has pretty much even platoon splits. He's just a... He's just been a good hitter so far. It's one of the worrying things. So I, I think that they got some problems. I think if they don't change their lineup and like actually make some additions p- partway through the season, that they're going to really struggle to score runs as they just get ground down by right-handed pitching. I don't think you guys have seen Christian Yelich's uh, exit velocity this season. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally have Matthew uh, Pouliot's up. tweet up right now. I was going to mention this. Uh, so... This was from the game on Thursday, and he pointed out that the near homer from Christian Yelich was 109 miles an hour off the bat, 409 feet. Two days ago, he hit one 111 miles an hour at 398 feet. Last year, he had one ball all season that was 109 miles an hour and 390 feet. So that's something. If you're looking for something to grasp at for Yelich... (laughs) That, that's something it's funny how people like gravitate towards exit velocity like this is something we love but they'll complain about launch angle like you'll hear the broadcasters do that like that's kind of their <laughs> old man thing they talk about exit velocity but you start talking about launch angle and they're going to be like ah, you know launch angle revolution is overrated or whatever and i think this is probably a pretty good example of where the launch angle matters because yelich yeah. clearly does not have it that well, I mean, both of those balls were hit off the wall. They were just like, they were. I understand he's like, been get, get him up. <laughs> his launch angle is five point one so far this year, which is better than his two point eight last year. But it's worse than all of his other ones before that, and going back to Tampa time, so it's still a problem. And his barrels are up, which is great. That's good to see. But again, you got get you got to get the ball in the air. Uh, also, if you want to worry about Yelich a little bit more. Um, <laughs> My theory has always been he, he since he screwed up his knee, he's a he is freaked out about hitting against righties, and he has reverse platoon splits so far this year, and he's done almost all his damage against lefties so far. He has a 944 OPS against lefties, and he has a 583 OPS against righties. 
And so if that shows up again, uh, he, I mean, yeah, he's hitting somebody. It's better than hitting nobody, which is what happened last year. But um, it, it still makes him a pretty easy target if they need to get past him. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. We have to see what uh, he is able to do with the improvement in the uh, in the the ball off the bat. Like, we haven't seen enough of of a sample at this point to be able to say that, like, those problems are still going to persist. And I guess the launch angle going up some does. Do you know what a good launch angle is? Like, what is the ideal? I know it's different for every player, but we're talking something more <laughs> in the, like, teens, right? Yeah, I think it's like 14. Uh, like I know his career high is 11.3, and I know that that is well under the optimal home run hitter. Uh, I think it's like 14 or 15. I'll, okay, I'll pull, I'll pull up a good home run hitter and, and tell you in a second. So yeah, he's always had a heavy number of like ground balls in his profile. So like, I was going to say had, we've talked about this a lot that that is boy, a we. big problem with Yelich in general and analyzing him specifically is that. He was when he was really good, when he was an MVP, it was a really weird profile. And well, that, but no, he was steer, still clearly driving the ball in a way that he's not doing it right now. He's maintained the ground balls, but he's lost the ability to get the ball in the air. Like that's so I, mm-hmm. I pulled up Pete Alonzo randomly. I don't know why I thought of him. Um, his lowest ever is 14.8 in his rookie season. Um, and it's been 15.5, 14.7, and in this short year, it's 20.2. So that's probably too high. But yeah, you want to be in the 15 range. And Yelich is never even close to that. But you, you got to get it like, for, for Yelich, you got to be like 9 or 10 here at least. Uh, anything less than that's going to be ground ball machine. Yeah, I mean, it's headed in the right direction at least. So that's... I'm desperate to really hold on to something here. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. He's broken. I, I don't know what to say at this point. He's broken. So uh, this is just what Yelich is going forward. And it's disappointing. And we probably just need to get used to it. It's unfortunate. I don't know what else to say. It's like the Hira thing. I Because coming out of 19, you were thinking, like, regardless of what else is in the offense, you're going to have Yelich and you're going to have Hira, Hira, you know, to build around. And uh, the way that just completely disappeared on this team um, really undercuts what they'd probably be able to do right now yep. uh, with the pitching they have. And the Brewers should they should actually bring me in to fix Yelich because I will happily do it. Offer still stands, um, but yeah, that whole dystopian plan that you had, yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to like soak bamboo rods in like salt water and then whip them in the knee. No, I'm not going to hurt him at all. (laughs) We just need, we need to armor up his knee, put him in the cage, pitch him inside. I mean, you just get it calloused up. No, vary the speed, but just hit it into armor. You got to prove to his brain that it doesn't hurt him. That's what you got to do. Then you hit him in the back and go like, here, here's that that will hurt him. (laughs) And he has the opposite of what you're trying to do. And then you like pull his legs apart so he does a full splits. Was it what was that time cop or something like that with Jean Claude Van Damme? That's every Jean Claude. That is every. I, yeah, I thought you were going Braveheart here, and let's just change the subject. Braveheart? No, no, no. That's where they gutted him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not advocating that. We don't need. To, we don't need to like pull out Christian Yelich's entrails or anything like that. Yeah. Just get him to hit a little better. Um, okay, Ted Johnson has a question here. Our lineup against lefty pitchers has been, for a lack of a better term, pathetic. What gives? I thought this team was supposed <laughs> to mash lefties. Mm. So much for overcompensating. Part of it is that they barely faced any lefties. Um, they, <laughs> they've only faced a couple, and they, a lot of them have been like high leverage relievers. 
Um, and part of their struggles have actually been in getting the proper matchups in the relief game. Um, and they've done it a couple times where the three batter rule has, uh, has played well for them. They did it against the Cubs at least once in the game that I was at. Um, but one of the other areas that they're definitely suffering is with the DH and without managers having to work around subbing out pitchers, they have a lot more flexibility to work around platoon splits. And uh, it, that's made it harder especially late in games, for a council to work good lefty-lefty-righty-righty matchups whenever he's wanted to. Um, so that's a lot of it. They really haven't faced like any kind of mediocre lefty starter yet or even good lefty starter yet. And they've run into a lot of just uh, bad relief matchups. So uh, I do think this lineup will mash uh, lefties once it gets good and proper chance to. But uh, it's been really, really righty-heavy so far. And to the extent that they face lefties, They've been managed well against our lineup. Well, and I think the other thing is just that whether they're facing right-handers or left-handers, the right-handed bats in this lineup are not hitting right now. You look also at the, the OPS pluses of these guys, like Willie Adamas is leading the crew at 84, and then you, you look at the rest, you know, Lorenzo Cain, 2, Hunter Renfro, 59, Andrew McCutcheon, 78, uh, Tyron Taylor, 7. Uh, you know, like Mike Brousseau, yep. 68, Keston Hero, 57. None of the right-handed bats are hitting so far, and that's why against lefties, you're not having much success. And I share Paul's optimism on that. I think that they did go out and get guys who have a proven track record of mashing lefties, and I think they will, by and large, do that. I just wonder, I mean, part of it, too, is some of the lefties that they've faced were particularly weird matchups for them. First off, people don't realize this over here but i think if you play fantasy baseball you realize john means is a really good pitcher now mm -hmm. the the yeah. ace for the orioles and he started their opening day game and shut down the brewers and i feel like justin Steele and who is the lefty for the cardinals um cardinals. oh yeah. mats steven mats are kind of weird lefties uh they're they're relying more on I feel like off-speed stuff. I'd have to double-check that. No, but Matt's was throwing hard. Matt's was coming in 94, 95. But was Matt's coming in harder? Okay. He was. I hate him so much. I've had him on so many fantasy teams. <laughs> every time I have him, he's garbage. And now I watch him facing the Brewers, and he mows him down. So I'm like, screw this guy. Screw him because he was with the Mets. And now screw him now with the Cardinals. So He was with the Mets and never healthy. Yeah. But that's well, every he, he, was, he was with the Mets, yes. Yes. <laughs> Right. It's worth noting, though, Steven Matz does not really have traditional platoon splits either. Um, uh, again, for his career, lefties have a 736 OPS against him. Righties have a 762 OPS against him. They're basically not different at all. So um, he's he's not your typical lefty. I feel like Matz has kind of a Manny Parra look to him when he pitches. Yeah, I can he's see right. that. He's upright. He throws hard. Um, you know, he doesn't have that like lower arm angle that I think a lot of lefties have, which I think that's what kind of creates more of those platoon splits. So, yeah, know. can you imagine if Manny Parra had had the access to the information that exists now, how different that career might have gone? Because he always no. seemed like he had the stuff. <laughs> well, no, it always seemed like he had the stuff, but the stuff never played as well as it should have, which is sort no, of the typical thing for now. You like you fix guys like that and make it work better than what it's doing. No, because they would have had to completely rebuild him in in a way, in such a way, because he just his mechanics were not repeatable at all, and that was his biggest flaw. So I don't know what they would they this this organization probably never would have wasted their time on Manny Parra. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, that that might be true. So, 
Um, <laughs> a- any other comments uh, about uh, when we're going to start hitting lefties? <laughs> when, when's the next lefty they face? Well, uh, we play like... Pittsburgh next, so. I don't know. I'm not sure. It might never happen, honestly. They were, well, well, you know, they were supposed to face two lefties against the Cubs, but they had that rain out, mm-hmm. which I think pushed one of them. So that was, I guess, what happens when you when you leave uh, your lineup to chance like that. So, well, um, the announced starters for the uh, Pittsburgh series are Zach Thompson, who's a righty. Yeah, um, yep. but JT Brubaker is a lefty, I believe. I'm double checking that, but JT Brubaker, I believe, is a lefty. Um, he is, in fact, a righty. It's three righties: <laughs> Brubaker, Brubaker, <laughs> Keller, and Thompson. So no uh, relief in sight there. Nope. It's but a pro- like I said, it's a problem, and uh, especially like the Cardinals in the past few seasons have a history of of like bumping guys against the Brewers to to go against their handedness, like. Other teams are going to start doing that too. You can, you can, you can be selective sometimes about pitch you throw out there, especially if it's your fifth starter. Um, and uh, I, it's this is why I would predict them to not finish very high offensively. I think this is a problem that they will have all year long. <laughs> well, well, how much does the DH kind of screw them? Because teams can now just selectively pick, pick their pitchers as opposed yes, to like correct. It screws them a lot. It screws them very badly. Like if they if we did not have the DH. Um, other teams would have to work around their pitching spot in the lineup. They would have to go through their pitchers faster, and Council would be able to, you know, get into deeper parts of the pen and set things up better. But this gives them, this gives every team basically, basically a deeper bullpen by default, and uh, it makes it much, much easier to work around platoon advantage. It just does, and not not everybody's dumb anymore. That's the other thing. I mean, Joe Madden's still dumb, but um, every. <laughs> Everybody else is, is like a better manager than they used to be. So it, it you also aren't fooling people anymore. Yeah, Ali Marmel did say some things about uh, the Brewers that made me cringe because it was like, oh, he knows what he's doing. He was talking about the fact that they were managing late in Saturday night's game to keep the Brewers' left-handed bats on their bench. They wanted to keep those right-handed bats in the lineup, and they wanted to – so that's why they left uh, – uh, Genesis Cabrera out there a little bit longer into the eighth inning and had him go almost two innings. Yeah. Which was, you know, that was part of the thing. And I don't, I wouldn't say Craig got out managed there. It's just like, that was a situation that kind of played to their disadvantage. I will say about the Cardinals, we should note the Cardinals at this point have not even used a fifth starter because they haven't had to, because they've had so many off days. They're two games behind the Brewers in terms of games played. And so, they are they have been able to do this. The Cardinals do not have starting pitching depth at all. They are absolutely a a a wreck as far as that goes. And so they have had a little bit of an advantage here where the Brewers have already obviously today we saw them dip into their their sixth man of the the rotation for the first time here uh, and brought Ashby out and had him start. So if you look at kind of the way that this matched up, the Brewers went into this series against the Cardinals and didn't throw Burns or Eric Lauer, who I would say are probably two of their three pitchers that I feel the most confident about right now after Lauer's second half last <laughs> year. Two of the five best pitchers. I, I feel better about Lauer than I do about Hauser for sure. And definitely Peralta. Uh, Peralta right now. I mean, he's been better than Peralta for quite a while now. 
So like we're looking at like the last hundred innings. Lauer has been better than Peralta for quite a while. Eric Lauer in the second half last year had an ERA under two, and it was supported by secondary stuff. So yeah, I mean Eric Lauer last year closed really really strong. His numbers overall were good, but his numbers in the second half were absolutely spectacular because he started somewhat slow. Yeah, Eric Lauer was one of the best starters in baseball in the second half last year. You should know that he's on our fantasy team, Steve. I do. Well, but I, I'm just letting you be the one explain why he's uh, better than Freddie. I at this moment I feel better about Eric Lauer than I do about Freddie. That will change, I'm sure. But it's been two, it's been two starts for Freddie. I'm not too worried about that one yet. So no, it's fine. Um, okay. We're gonna move on. We got some other Patreon questions. Uh, Mark Podscarby, are you surprised at how regularly Council has put McCutcheon at DH? Similarly, are you surprised he seems to have a straight platoon going at first and center field? Uh, well, first off, he doesn't have a straight platoon going at first because we've already seen Rowdy start against a lefty. Yeah. So, and I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, I think it's interesting that we saw Keston get in at second base. That was certainly something I wasn't <laughs> necessarily expecting to see, but with with Urias out right now it does make this a little bit more difficult like Urias being out is probably we haven't mentioned his name yet but it's a bigger deal I think than we realize and yep especially on this we're talking about guys hammering lefties uh he does that and he's also just a pretty good hitter generally and so and also I don't know if you guys realize this he led the Brewers in home runs in 2021 so he <laughs> I mean, that's not what you like to see, but he did have 23 of them. 23? I think 23. So I, I think that we can sort of allow a little bit of grace there for that as well. But yeah, like they they aren't in a strict platoon there. I do think Kutch is going to see more time in the outfield. What we saw him in right field, was it today or was it yesterday? Uh, I think he was out there. Yeah, Sunday he was out in right yeah, field. Yeah, okay. So we've seen him in the outfield. I think we'll see a little bit more of that. But I guess it's kind of surprising that he's been so overwhelmingly the DH at this point. I think they're kind of leaning on like, hey, this guy's the the, the veteran we brought in. So we're going to lean on him when the team's struggling right now. I don't know how. You know what? He's not hitting well, but he has come up with some big hits. So I guess that's been the advantage. Yeah. So mm-hmm. And to the extent that uh, also worth noting, Keston Hira is also like out of strict platoon at this point because they started playing him against righties because he actually hits them better. So um, he might enter that side of the platoon a little bit, but that complicates life even more. doesn't alleviate any pressure anywhere. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, he's a weird one and uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do with him. Yeah, the the. Hero thing's just gonna. I think it's gonna be torture as long as he's on the team. It really is. Like, there's just no no spot for him that makes any kind of sense. Um, and unless he's really mashing the ball, it's just so hard to figure out what to do. So uh, that one's gonna be tough. But again, I think if the rest of the team starts hitting, <laughs> you can start at least forgetting about what's not working a little bit and Urias is going to be the a big part of that I think when he gets back so uh Ted Johnson asks Mark A said that he stretched the budget to sign McCutcheon do you think that means he's budgeting to sign Burns Woodruff Adamas etc down the road or that 130 million dollar payroll is the top operating costs and we'll be shipping our young studs off in trades after this year to keep the payroll down uh I would 
not pay too much attention to it. Um, it owners just say that to always implicate that they are doing their best to win and that they're um, spending as much as they can and are allowed to and all that stuff and, and general managers as well. Um, so uh, it's not an indicator of anything. Um, it's an excuse if they don't do anything, it, then they can always come back to, oh, it's the top of our budget, whatever. Um, but it's not an indicator of anything in the future, of any sell-offs of any kind like that. Um, and I don't think it'll even really keep them out of the trade market, though they tend to save, not to take on in, in trade, but you never know. Uh, but yeah, don't pay any attention to that. Owners cry poor. It's what they do. It's built into their cadence in how they speak publicly about things. Um, and uh, they always want you to think that they're at the top of their budget. That's how they that's how they live and how they justify um, you know, only paying what they want to pay in any given season. Doesn't mean jack. Yeah, I'm really particularly annoyed by this just because of the whole offseason and everything we went through <laughs> and just seeing it. It just it's so nauseating and it's so wrong. Like you could spend a lot more than you spend and still turn a hefty profit. And so to to like he wasn't in our budget, whatever. Yeah, I don't believe that at all. I think that that's just him trying to manage expectations. And if there's anything Mark Itanazi was really good at doing, it's managing expectations. He has been a master of that basically since he got to Milwaukee in terms of of spending. Like he has he has played that game about as well as you can play it. And I guess I I am somewhat annoyed by it. But then you know what. I remember that we don't have the Castellinis as our owners and holy shit. Did you guys see that this week? Cause that was, that was special. Was that, was that this week? Yeah, it was, like it was, was Monday. feels like a long time ago, but it was, I think it was this last Monday. And just for people that are unaware, the owner of the Cincinnati reds or the son of the owner, the fail son, son of, of the owner. Yes. Yeah. Of the Cincinnati reds went on the radio before their home opener and somebody asked about spending, and he basically said, what are people going to do, not show up? <laughs> and then when he went on TV to apologize for his previous statements, he made it worse. He doubled down and actually like made it even worse. And so the, the, the statements on TV were even worse. And then he had to put out some mealy-mouthed apology, and his dad then had to like come out of his you know lair or whatever and like do something and, and say something. So... We could have it a lot worse. Yeah, to completely cover it, it was like, it was, you live in Cincinnati, what else are you going to do? Where, what other team are you going to look at? And then, um, if you really want to be profitable in baseball, what you really have to do is move the team uh, out of Cincinnati. That, that is what he said. Um, so it was, it was that you have no choice with a veiled threat to move and then did the same thing later on when he was supposed to be apologizing. <laughs> the threat to move was really that that took it to the next level of yes. shitty owner discourse. Sure did. It's like you people eat skyline chili. You have no taste. Just cheer for the red. <laughs> I mean, it really was like basically like peasants. What are you going to do? Like, yep. you know, it, it, there was a very uh, let them eat cake sort of vibe to the whole thing. Yeah, mine was, hey, uh, I, I'm protected by an antitrust exemption, so you have no choice. Have fun with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have another question from Jay Google, uh, and he wants to make sure we spend enough time on Freddie Peralta here. Uh, how concerned are you guys about Freddie's two starts already this year? Is it a shortened spring? Is it different baseballs? Is it the new technology or defense or all of the above? I think it's mostly shortened spring. Um, a Freddie has always had control is not the strongest part of his game and never has been. 
Uh, you know, he is a he's got a lot of movement. He's got a lot of velocity. He is a gamer, but that is probably the thing that takes him the longest to get comfortable with every year. And uh, I, I really don't think there's any reason to panic on him. Like, uh, uh, sort of similar to Woodruff, where I think Woodruff kind of needs to ramp up to get his stuff going excellently before he can be effective and now has. But it takes him time, too. Peralta is the same way, but with control. And uh, there's no reason to panic on him. We've seen this Freddie Peralta many times before. Once he gets uh, in his rhythm and you know gets the cadence down, he'll be fine. Yeah, I think that he probably will be. I'm going to wait to see it until I feel good that it's coming in any given start. But he, we have seen issues with him come and go before, though I think it's been... Honestly, did he have a start this bad? I don't think he did in 2021, and I'm not sure he had one in uh, 2020 either. So it's been a while since he absolutely had a complete catastrophe start like he did on Friday. Well, it had been a while for uh, Brandon Woodruff as well, and he showed this year he could still do it. So um, everybody's kind of experimenting with how how good can we be again. It's also been a while since they were pitching a Major League Baseball game when they normally would have been at the end of spring training wrapping things up. So it's not exactly the greatest circumstances for either of them. And uh, I I excuse blow-ups on pitchers, especially early in the season. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the Ben Sheets years, we, we've seen guys who just need the uh, weather to warm up to actually get the grip <laughs> on the ball they need to, to pitch to their, their best ability. So, yeah, I think a lot of that, we'll just have to see. I don't know, does anybody think Major League Baseball is screwing with the balls again this year? In, in, a, in a very nefarious way, I guess. No, I think basically what we've already sort of seen come out is that we're largely using the balls that were supposed to be used last year almost exclusively but a bunch of 2020 balls snuck into the supply so it it, the balls are a little bit deader and also everybody's now using the humidors so you have more of a a, of a uh a standard i guess uh um situation as far as what the balls are being what happens when you use a humidor and then you take the ball into like freezing uh temperatures <laughs> well it just keeps the humidity that basically it dries the balls out for the most part in in a few places where the humidors have already existed like colorado like arizona where the humidors had already existed it was to add moisture to them so That's that they I would thought. retain their moisture yeah. but at sea level for places like say baltimore it is actually going to keep them less moist <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so it's it's going to unmoisten the balls, and that is going to generally make it a little bit less. I'm trying to remember how Eno Saris because Eno had the so the, the humidor is mess. set at like a specific. Yes, uh, all all humidor humidity. like the balls are now being stored in a standard humidity across baseball, which is the way it should have always been. When when Colorado introduced a humidor, everybody got mad about this. And I literally, I remember saying, like, I don't know, was this the late 90s or the early 2000s? I said, everybody should have a humidor. You should just store the balls at a constant humidity, and then this isn't an issue. When does the ball come out of the humidor? Uh, Not long before the game. Okay, but I'm just saying, so the ball's going to change during the game. Yeah, but I don't think it changes that quickly. I mean, how long <laughs> do you th- I mean, you're just assuming that. I'm assuming, like, if a ball's sitting out in just the general weather, it's going to probably 
you know, warm up and, and gain that moisture or lose that moisture in a, a pretty rapid amount of time. It's okay. not like this large object. However, they were doing it in Colorado and Arizona. It did have a noticeable effect once they started using the humidor I didn't, on how the balls I didn't performed. Know if the umpires had like a humidor bag that they had the balls in. On no, it's not. It's, I don't think it's that kind of situation. <laughs> they open like the Ziploc bag or whatever and take the balls out. I want to know how many owners now are like storing their personal like cigar collection in like some back corner of the room where they have the walk in humidor. Uh, you know, it's at more than one. It's definitely more than one that are people are storing some cigars in there. I want to know how rigorously the humidor rule is enforced and who checks it. And if anybody plays fast and loose with it, if they think that uh, their team structure gives them an advantage with the bouncy ball. That's what I want to know. It is interesting. Now, one thing about like park conditions in general, uh, the Brewers lost, what, three home runs at uh, Camden Yards this week because of the uh, change field dimensions. It's at least two, maybe a third. Yeah, according to the that handy new account that tells you that instantly, it's very nice. Um, oh, yeah, well, they, they lost did they say right away? Oh, oh yeah, I'll find it. There's this there's a Twitter account that tells you uh, for any fly ball how many parks it would have been out of. It's great. Um, I will I will search for it while you're talking. Oh, okay. So, but yes, the the change dimensions at Camden Yards definitely cost Christian Yelich a homer, and it cost Rowdy a homer for sure. They ended up with uh, balls off the wall instead of home runs. Because of the the added dimension out in Indeed. left field, that's baseball. Yep, but it just like those balls would have been well out last year in that park. I'm trying to remember what that had to do with the humidor. <laughs> We're just talking about different park conditions. I don't know. Oh, okay, whatever. Okay, what was I'm the original trying- question here anyway? Oh, I don't even remember anymore. The new technology. We're talking about the humidor, I guess. Um, but we'll move on. So we have, a, <laughs> we have a question from Alex Lamers. Uh, Eno Saris at The Athletic wrote that Ashby had the biggest improvement in stuff plus of any pitcher in MLB so far this year compared to last season. Thoughts on that? I'm very uh, excited by it. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's played out so far? To a degree, I mean, he had some command issues like all Brewers pitchers have had this year seemingly at some point. And so uh, I think that blunted it a little bit. But it definitely was interesting to see him be able to live in the zone and to fool Cardinals hitters in ways that uh, I guess you don't see too much outside of, say, Josh Hader and Brandon uh, or not Brandon, Corbin Burns. Like they, he, he can live in the zone and throw pitches in the middle of the zone and leave guys flummoxed by it. So especially that uh, that curveball slider thing that whatever we're calling it these days, I think we're calling it a slider now. Uh, that breaking pitch is a bastard. It, it's a really good pitch. Yep. I mean, seeing Brewer pitchers develop and go up the rankings and stuff like that is, I think, what we expect to see now. So. Um, he hasn't been perfect. Uh, I think the Brewers pitching will just get much better as time goes on here. But um, yeah, it's exciting. And I expect uh, he, he just strikes me as a, a pitcher that's going to be a good one. It, I, he has the prototypical like stuff moves a lot. He, he has good velocity. Uh, I think he'll be fine. And it's nice when you see the back end stats sort of start to back that up. Usually the Brewer pitchers follow through on stuff like that by having it show up on the field. So I think that'll be what happens there. Uh, going back to it, by the way, 
uh, a great Twitter follow. It is would it dong. <laughs> That's amazing. At, at would underscore it's underscore dong. It tells you um, how many parks any given home run would have been out. Uh, been at. I'm looking at a uh, let's see a Wilmer Flores home run right now from eight hours ago. Oh no, it was a double. Um, that uh, would have been a home run in seven of thirty Major League Baseball parks. It had a. It gives you launch angle and exit velocity, projected distance, and and how many stadiums it would have been out of. So it's cool. Okay, I just followed it, so I'm looking forward to that. Should we give everybody a moment? Yeah, pick up your phone. Yep, we'll do it right now. Go. Would uh, it dong? Yep. It popped up right away. You should be able to find it. Um, <laughs> Morgoth10 asks, uh, anyone else feel like Trevor Gott has looked pretty good so far? Uh, this year, or am I due for an eye exam? And Gott's gonna get got sooner than later. <laughs> All of the jokes, and I'm here for them, and I do yes. appreciate them. And uh, and I, I should read it ahead of time so I can say that with a little more rhythm, right? Well, and got got some outs today in the Brewers game that were important, and uh, did. he still has not allowed any runs. He was the guy who cleaned up uh, on Devin's mess, right? Yeah, he did. He got the the out to get out of that thing. And uh, so that was I, I believe it was a strikeout. So that would mean he would have four and two thirds innings pitched, seven strikeouts and no walks. So that's pretty good. And that is what you want to see. Like the first thing I look at when I look at relievers is the strikeout to walk ratio. That is what I want to know, like as the, a starting point, when you have a good high strikeout rate and a low walk rate. Most other things are going to tend to take care of themselves. The only thing you worry about then is if a guy is home run prone. Like if a guy isn't home run prone, then you've got a a stud star reliever. And we'll have to see if he starts giving up some home runs. But so far, so good. And his FIP is .098. So that's quite (laughs) good, too. Yeah, so far, so good. Looks like a good find, but you never know um, till, till later. I will say that I like him better than Gustav. So, yeah. So Jake Cousins has been a little bit weird. Like I'm the the subject of yeah, sort of middle yeah. relievers because I'm looking at this and I cannot believe because he he definitely was okay today. He may have he may have walked another guy today. I'm not looking at I'm looking at yesterday's numbers, but coming into today, coming into Sunday, Cousins had six strikeouts and only one walk. I would have sworn he had three or four walks. I would have sworn, but I guess it's just because. He keeps throwing the ball in the dirt, and it keeps yeah the, the wild the pitches, man. Yep that that part of it where you're like he doesn't have great command, but then I look at it and I go, well, the, he's he's not walking, guys, so it can't be that bad. But yeah, uh, I think both of those guys are quite good. Gustave, I don't know, he's probably up and down roster fodder. I don't think we're going to see him pitch that much. There are other guys to come up. Speaking of which, Ethan Small has been really good. Oh, lights out. Just he has dominant. been really, really good. So that is something that bears watching, too. Obviously, the Brewers don't have a spot for him right now. And Craig Council did say he was going to stay in the minor or sorry, he was going to stay in the rotation, that they weren't going to move him around a bunch. But as I mentioned on this week's minor league extra with James, I kind of said, you got to watch to see if if he all of a sudden is starts making appearances out of the bullpen. Uh, get ready for him to come up. And that is especially directed at you fantasy owners. (laughs) 
like get ready for him to come up at that point. So, because I think he is going to be a pretty incredible uh, ratio guy, uh, especially like early on when guys are not used to seeing his stuff. So when he gets up, does that mean they'll be able to trade Josh Hader at the trade deadline? <laughs> well, I don't think I, Ethan Small is not a closer. Ethan Small is a starter. If if anybody is a closer, it's Ashby. And I still Ryan, think Ashby I, can I probably start. That you t- I appreciate that you took that seriously. Yeah, me too. But I people do talk about this as I I can't tell you how many times over the winter listening to uh to either prospect pods or to uh well especially prospect pods but also to, uh, fantasy pods where they're talking about Ashby and they're like, well, you know, the the ceiling here is a pretty good starting pitcher, but the floor is you know maybe like a Josh Hader light sort of situation, and either of those outcomes is pretty good. So people do openly talk about that quite a bit. It's it's out there in the, uh, what do they say, the zeitgeist? Sure, but at that rate, you you ride him as a starter until he proves that he's not. Oh, Ashby? And, uh, sure. Yeah, and Hader never even, there was never even a thought of making Hader a starter at the major league level. I oh, no, that's, that's not true. There, there was. was. Oh, people, no, no, no. It was no, discussed no, 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 no. quite a bit. Yeah. We nah. talked about it on the early episodes of this podcast. Well, it, it wasn't just us. It was like uh, on every perspective podcast, it was always bandied about can he start comparisons to Chris Sale? Um, will his arm hold up under the stress of starting because he is very much like Chris Sale um, in terms of his mechanics and velocity? Like it was, it was talked about by serious people for a very long time. It was. I don't think the Brewers ever seriously considered it. They that's may have had probably some... that's probably more true. They I don't think by the time he was in the majors, it, I don't think they ever seriously considered trying that, to make that him is a probably true. Also, they have the best medicals on him, and that's really the determining factor there. So that's probably true. Well, and so, they do know how quickly he sort of wears down, and yep. what a factor that was in how he was managed and how he's been managed to this day. So, yeah, it's still unfortunate that he's become a you know one inning guy at the end of the the game instead of being a, a little bit more of a fireman that covers. yeah that's annoying but i i do get it for and he's he has been less good when he has been called out to to go more than one inning pretty re, pretty reliably so well he's been less good when he has to go like multiple days in a row that's why yeah, he's pretty fragile come, i'd rather see him come out and fire a couple innings and be lights out you know with plenty of rest than the uh, typical like, oh, he's he's great this first night, and then it gets a little shakier and shakier as as the nights go on when they they run him out two or three nights in a row. So, yeah, what needs to happen is for the arbitration process to get fixed as far as relief pitchers go, because right now all relief pitchers want to get saves early in their career now because it's the only way to get paid in arbitration the only way you will make any money in arbitration as a relief pitcher is if you're getting saves and so it's totally natural for josh Hader to want to get saves and for that to be his focus is rack up save numbers because it's the only way for him to get paid until he's a free agent he would not be making if if he was under that old system where like the where the Brewers were hardly using him as a, a closer and he was a middle reliever, he would be getting paid a fraction of what he's getting paid now. And that sucks. Did the latest CBA fix that? No, I, the <laughs> arbitration process is separate from that, right, Paul? It's based on precedent. Has you can't really can you even alter things in arbitration by the through the CBA? Is that even so, possible? That's a good question. Um so the short answer is you probably could. Um 
you could probably agree in advance as part of collective bargaining that certain criteria would be off limits or specifically considered in arbitration. You could probably do that. So um, if the players wanted to, they could they could take something like, I don't know, whip or that's a bad example, but you know, a better underlying reliever statistic for arbitration and force that to the floor. They could probably do that. Um, they could make the argument with saves that the club has too much control over whether or not you get saves. They could, Correct. but like, but I'm just saying, like, the club can determine whether or not you go out and get saves. Therefore, they're determining whether or not you get paid as a relief pitcher. Yeah, but there's like, a lot of yeah. things that are like that. Playing time is that yes. way too. Like, well, yeah, but if you were to go with some more um, uh, rate stats, you know, if you're going by WHIP or something like that, I mean, at least then it's just what the performance is on the field. Sure, it's just yeah. it's complicated. It is. The um, arbitration system it, is so, like, just it's, screwed up. It's amazing. Don't they also argue that, like, the clubs clearly aren't evaluating their players based on the metrics that they're paying them on. Like, I mean, everybody yes, knows. Yes, you can. Know. You can argue that absolutely. Um, but uh, the way that it has, the problem is that the way that arbitration has been decided for as long as arbitration has existed is the precedent for how how arbitration is decided. So that's the problem. And Paul, yes. hey, Paul, I've been paying attention to like the law in the United yeah. States recently, and I think it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not wrong about that, but that's not for this podcast. <laughs> that's Paul's law blog. Go to paulslawblog.com. <laughs> um, okay, uh, where were we at? D do we want to do the last J Google question? Which will kill me first? The pitchers and the walks. And getting behind accounts or the hitters in general, or Yelich hitting it either to second or first base all the time. Uh, I, and I think he wrote this before Sunday's game. Uh, so, I think it came in after, actually, but. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. Um, it, Easy and Ark had a good tweet today just about how, um, well, while Yelich isn't the last player he would have up in a crucial situation because he's clearly not the worst hitter on the team. His failures just hurt more than everybody else, and so watching him is so painful. And I kind of agree with that. Like watching Yelich suck is super painful, based on what we've seen that he can do and how much he's paid. And you know, he he still gets walks and he still bloops shit every once in a while. But uh, that hurts. And yeah, walks suck, but every team walks people once in a while. Yelich is his own special brand of disappointment. So I'll go with that. Yeah, I don't want Yelich up late in the game with like a runner on. Well. So getting behind in counts on the hitters, I think is going to stop. I think we're not going to see that as much, but it is particularly annoying right now because we aren't like sensitized to it as Brewers fans right now because we've been spoiled for mm. I think the better part of like three years on this that our pitchers have been good and haven't done this and have been very good at not walking batters. So this hasn't really been a problem that we've struggled with that much. So we're especially like susceptible to uh, that effect feeling like it's the worst thing in the world and i don't think yelich is going to continue to do this so uh, jay jay you get to live i have declared you get to live you will continue to be fine and yeah the neither of these things are going to continue okay and our final question from pj's mike brousseau stan account uh who can we trade for jesus Aguiar? 
<laughs> I mean, the answer to this is a lot of different sorts sure. of people, right? <laughs> Almost anybody, really. I was going to say, like, is he somebody we want? Well, Not I'm anymore. checking his numbers right now, Steve, yeah. and I'm looking it up, and he is off to a 174, 250, 174 start, uh, 23 OPS plus. I mean, he'd fit in with the lineup. That he would. He would, but he would also add to the log jam situation at first base. And uh, he's probably getting like a reasonable amount of money here. Yeah, he's making $7.5 million this year. So the Brewers have guys that they're paying almost nothing to be uh, bad, and they would much rather pay guys almost nothing to be bad than pay a guy who's making a lot of, well, comparatively more money to be bad. Yep. Uh Underrated bad brewer move of the last several years is not hanging on to G-Man Choi. If only they had. Yeah, that was a tricky one just because they were already like completely blocked in uh, with multiple first basemen, right? Because they had Thames and they had, they had Thames Aguilar. And Aguilar. Yeah. yeah. And so that but, having those two guys on the roster at the time, and it wasn't like they were going to let either of those guys go, given what they had just done. I suppose. They were. It's not like their trigger on Aguiar was that heavy. That you know he was gone not that long after. So. Well, yeah, that was our entire 2019 first half uh, discourse. Was how much longer are they going to stick with Aguiar? Don't they have to bring Keston Hero up and then move? Yeah. Uh, what was it, Mustakis over? There was there was some old machination. It was like we have to get rid of uh, this guy in the lineup and get. Or no, it was Travis Shaw. Get Travis Shaw out of the lineup and get and get Hira in. But whatever. Guys come and go like this all the time. And the Brewers have been particularly adept at finding them and then not getting too overly committed I to mean, them. I was just looking at G Man Choi, like he does okay getting on base. He doesn't hit with the power. So I I mean he doesn't he? like solve their lineup well. He hits with mild power. I mean, you know. Uh, four ten, four eleven slugging. Well, that is in it's in Tampa, so it's in, it's to... in Tampa in like the hardest stadium and against right-handed pitching. He has a career eight forty-eight OPS um, and a uh, two fifty-seven, three sixty-six, four eighty-three split. Mostly playing in Tampa, so um, in Miller Park, that slugging would jump quite a bit. Ooh, he's got a six fifty-four on base percentage. Some black ink for G-Man Choi this year. Yep, so far. Look at that. In in what is it? Eight games? Eight games. Eight games. Eight games. Well, yeah, I think he aced out uh, Stephen Kwan. So that's when trends start to stabilize, right? I oh, believe yeah, that is eight, the eight math games on that. Is correct, yeah. Eight. Eight, eight games is about it. So, well, I guess that we're, we're at the end of it. You guys got anything else you wanted to address here? Because I see uh, we don't have any new patrons. Oh, but we do have something for, from Paul. So. Yeah. And, and oh, Steve, Steve, the rundown has the incorrect comments in it. So, and that's anyway. what I was going to say. I don't think these comments are correct, but I have the correct comments in front of me. So, do do we have them? Okay. Do you want to do that? So we're going to do. What'd you just change here, Ryan? Or you just deleted all of it? Okay. Paul, <laughs> go ahead. You take okay. it. Okay. So, as longtime listeners know, if you leave us a five star review on apple podcasts which we encourage you to do it helps us move up the rankings and helps more people find the podcast uh, any five-star review i will read whatever you write uh with a few caveats along the lines of racism and things like that um but uh oh, gotta, gotta treat this week so we have, we have two five-star reviews this week the first the first is from matt lab and uh it is just titled great brewers podcast and i will now get started 
guys, go grab a beer if you need one. Um, I've been listening to this Brewers podcast since the first episode. Initially, I was less excited. For me, something about the initial trio of hosts was off. <laughs> um, I don't think it's what the old I feel like JP hates everyone review said, because whenever any two of the three of them were on an episode, it was great. But when all three of them were there, it just didn't work for me. Oftentimes, it seemed like JP and Steve were just ganging up on Ryan, and it killed the flow. <laughs> this was confirmed for me with the recent 200th episode reunion. A major turning point for me, though, was when Bradley Ford, my favorite person to listen to talking about the Brewers, James and Paul joined, not all at once, of course. I found this new trio quad of hosts to be extremely enjoyable, passionate, and fun to listen to talk about the Brewers, regardless of length. And Paul even made it tolerable to listen to labor talk, something I never enjoyed effectively wild or other similarly podcasts discussing. Have Having his perspective as both a fan and a lawyer, especially one who can boil down extremely complicated topics, has been great, even if I hope no more labor lockouts happen ever again. Finally, James is an amazing host. If you enjoy listening to smart people talk about the Brewers, you'll enjoy this. Finally, since I, the almighty MATLAB, am in charge of the algorithm that the stars in influence, I must ask Ryan a question and then leave Paul something to admit publicly for the first time. <laughs> first... Ryan, I feel like a huge missed opportunity was bringing your brother on the podcast the day after the Cubs traded away everyone last year. Did he refuse to come on? Did he just try to pretend baseball season was over and got really into the WNBA? Was he still hurting for managing to lose a game? His team was up 7-0 uh, before his team took the field. And finally for Paul, what if I told you that I never went to law school, but I do consume knowledge like no one you've ever met and I've actually passed the bar? Thankfully, I was able to make it into my law firm when a complete stranger named Harvey decided to break the law and hire me as an associate. From there, my life has evolved into a never-ending series of near misses where my secret has been almost exposed until today. With apologies to Suits. The end. So if anybody was curious, uh, the longest uh, comment you can leave in Apple Podcasts is apparently four full paragraphs. And uh, <laughs> that is what MATLAB did. Good, good timing, by the way, on that comment. Um, <laughs> and and uh, we also have one more from Wes Height Pass. Uh, five stars, five-star Brewer podcast, me go poopy in my undies. So kind of hit the full spectrum of comments there. That's all we got. Wow. That sounded like a setup. <laughs> it did. I agree. I thought That's there was a third. Wasn't there a third? There was not a third. The, the mm. one, the one underneath that we read last week, it was um, Eric Eric Roll or Eric Roll or whatever. Oh, okay, cool. So good. We wish it were daily. <laughs> well, there you go. As as Paul said, you leave five stars. He will read whatever you write there, even if it's uh, very long and clearly a work of fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, while you're there reviewing the podcast, you can uh, hit the subscribe button. You could smash. The subscribe button <laughs> uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, uh, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Door.